We're continuing on in the book of Revelation this morning, and we're in Revelation 14. And again, uh, last, last week we kind of went through one of the toughest chapters in all of Revelation, the one where the, the beast and the false prophet and the number 666 are mentioned. And, uh, you know, we, we need to dispel some of the superstition around that and realize that this is God's um, push for, for the end. And, and, and these things must happen for, before the end comes. And, and that number, is, there's nothing mystical about it. That number just has to do with what we call the unholy trinity. And, and six is the number of man. So three sixes means you know, the, the number of the beast, the number of the dragon, the number of the false prophet. It, it's a complete mockery of God and of the trinity. Well now, chapter 14 is about the, the, the fate, the, the announcement of the end, the, the fate of all those who um, took on the mark of the beast, the fate of the saints who did not bow the knee, and uh, it, it talks about the great end that's about to happen. Um, as um, you know, we, we think about suffering in the world today, we look around and we see such great suffering. You know, and, and because of that suffering and pain, um, we, we try to avoid suffering and pain, so we want to go along with the grain, we want to get along to get along um, with the culture. And, and some churches um, and, and believers have abandoned the truth of the gospel because of that. Uh, the, the, uh, the church becomes more of a, an, an association or a country club or, or a community organization that we just join up with because um, we want to um, you know, just see our friends, see our neighbors. We, we come together to do some nice things for people sometimes. But, but the truth of the gospel is, is, is what um, brings about uh, all of this. Uh, God's truth from, from the very beginning is, is that He would redeem His people from their sins. Sin entered the world long before any of us were here in, in those ancient times. And sin has corrupted the, the human race. It's corrupted hearts. But here at the end, God says, all this is going to come to this this big catastrophic end but it's going to be a good catastrophe <laughs> because what happens is evil collapses and Christ's kingdom comes in and, and uh, it's going to be glorious folks what, what awaits us is not worth comparing to the suffering that we're going through now and that's what Revelation 14 gives us the heavenly announcement of all this before God's um, judgment is poured out, before He begins acting, um, throughout the book of Revelation, what happens usually before that, there's a heavenly announcement, and then the judgments and the end come. Well, Re Re Revelation 14 is, is, is the announcement of the end, and then the rest of Revelation is about how the end comes about. So let's look at Revelation 14 here. Let's read that together, if you would. The whole chapter. <clears throat> so bear with me. Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with Him 144,000 who had His name and His Father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they were singing a new song before the throne 
and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. It is those who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as first fruits for God and the Lamb. And in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. And then, then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give Him glory, because the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Another angel, a second, followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all the nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night. These worshipers of the beast and its image and whoever receives the mark of its, of its name. Here is a call for endurance of the saints, those who keep the commands of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds do follow them. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and seated on the cloud, one like a son of man, with a golden crown on his head, and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, calling out with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put in your sickle and reap. For the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, the angel who had the authority over the fire, and he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, Put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of God's wrath. And the winepress was trodden outside the city and blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 1600 stadia. Let's pray. Lord, we just ask God that you would add a blessing to the reading and to the hearing of your word. Father, let it go forth and not return void. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. The end, the outcome of the ancient battle for men's souls is given here in Revelation 14. And in and, and, and Revelation's fashion, remember this is a series of images and visions that John is receiving. 
it's not one it's not a progressive thing one thing to another it's it's not the um the seven seals followed by the seven trumpets followed by the the tiny scroll followed by the um seven bowls that there, there's there's not a linear progression here there, there there's not a um, any kind of announcement of a time period here or a timetable the only time that we're given is the time of God's wrath which is three and a half years um, uh, in response to what's happened to the the saints who are martyred that and everybody talks about oh it's seven years of tribulation well we don't know that from from the context of revelation itself that that's some assumptions that some people are making it could be seven years I don't know but the only time period in, in Revelation that's given is three and a half years or 42 months or 1,260 days, however they say that. But anyway, it, it, it's a series that keeps repeating the same um, events, but only it, it gives more specific details about those events. You know, the, the first seven seals were about the span of history from, from Christ at the very beginning when Christ first came all the way to the end of history. The seven trumpets um, repeat this um, period of history, but it shows more specifically what happens to uh, the people of the earth who have rejected God and what God does to those saints during that period, which He, he seals them and protects them from judgment. But we also learn that He doesn't protect them from, from being martyred. He does protect them from His judgments that are poured out. And then it starts up again uh, in, in uh, Revelation 12 with the beginning of the recounting of the ancient battle. Again, Christ is seen as the child comes into the world. Satan tries to destroy him using his puppet Herod. Although Herod's not mentioned, it mentions the dragon who wants to devour, devour the Christ child. And then everything that Christ went through is mentioned. Everything the, the Israelites went through is mentioned and, and predicted. And then everything that the saints are going through was predicted in, in Revelation 13 at the hands of this beast and the false prophet and, and, and of the dragon, Satan himself. And so now what we have here is the end. And so Revelation 14 begins by, by, by referring back to the 144,000 that were sealed. And if you remember, we said that's not a literal number. That's 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. It's a reference to the people of God. There are some groups who will take that as a specific number. Jehovah's Witnesses will take it and say, okay, well, uh, only 144,000 are going to be saved. Well, guess what? There's a lot more Jehovah's Witnesses than there are than, than 144,000 right now. So what they, they, they change that and they say, oh, okay, well, 144,000 are going to be worshiping at the top of the mountain while the rest of the millions of our followers are going to be um, at the bottom of the mountain and worshiping God and um, the way you get to the top of the mountain is uh, you um, hand out more Watchtower magazines anyway <laughs> and, that, and that's the truth I, I, I mean I, I, may, I may be just a little bit snide about what they believe but that's, that, that's what they believe this is not meant to be there's not just going to be 144,000 people say this is talking about the one people of God Twelve is, is the number of, of uh, fullness and completion. The complete number of God's people, the ones who have given themselves over to Him, are going to be saved. The, the Lamb is going to save them. 
And, and the reason he's saving them is because why? Because they have not defiled themselves. Now, it says with women, and it says that they're, they're virgins. But if we remember, in the Old Testament especially, and someone in the New Testament, adultery and idolatry are often interchanged. Idolatry is being unfaithful to God, the Father, and, and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Adultery is seen as being as idolatry is seen as adultery against God, in other words. So that's what this is referring to. Those who have dedicated themselves to God, who have shunned the world and its sin, who have not defiled themselves, who have turned away from sin and turned towards God. They're the ones who are going to be saved from the earth. They're the ones, um, from the, the people from among mankind, who are going to be rescued by God Himself and the Lamb. That is the pronouncement of heaven, from heaven. And then God sends out, in this vision that John has received, He sends out these messenger angels to announce to the earth what's happening. We're seeing what's happening in heaven. That God and the Lamb have redeemed um, God's people, those that, that He sealed and protected from, from His judgments, they're going to be there in heaven with the Lord. And then it talks about the angel that, come, that comes through with a loud voice, pronouncing the gospel, fear God and give Him glory, because the hour of His judgment has come. And worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. In other words, even here at the end, even though all this destruction is about to take place, even though all this judgment is about to take place, <clears throat> even though the, uh, the beast of, of chapter 13 has demanded worship and demanded that people take a mark uh, of, on, of his ownership and of his rule over them, even though he's done all that, the angel is still pronouncing the gospel to the people of the earth. Those who have bowed, bowed the knee. So I think God's even given those people who have taken, taken that mark a chance here. The angel is saying, Fear God and give Him glory because the hour of His judgment has come. The angel is warning them, it's, it's coming. Another angel, the second angel says, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. Now, what in the world does it mean by Babylon? Well, Babylon is the ancient kingdom that uh, tried to form um, in opposition to God. It was really the first pagan nation, so to speak, or pagan empire. It, it goes all the way back to the Tower of Babel. When, when the nations decided to come back together and they decided to, to build the tower to God, in, in, in defiance of God, they, they came together um, there in, in, in the plain of Babylon and, and they built what they call the ziggurat, the, uh, the spiraling tower up to heaven. And uh, you know, they, they were going to uh, say that we're coming together and, and we're going to rule the earth. And God says, if they do that, then they'll be capable of anything. Nothing, that they, they won't be able to be stopped. In other words, all, all the violence and, and hatred and stuff that God had just, uh, not long ago before this, uh, ended it with a flood. 
and restarted the whole earth, he says, them coming together in defiance of me means that, that, that they're going to destroy the earth again, and God wasn't going to allow that to happen. So what does he do in Genesis 11? He confuses their languages and spreads them out. And it, it wasn't long, uh, you know, a few thousand years later, of course, we, we, we look at a few thousand years later as uh, being a long time, but for God, a thousand years are but a day. The... Babylon reforms and Babylon becomes God's instrument of judgment against Israel because it had rejected God, Israel and, and Judah, the two nations. And, and, and Babylonians came in, they, they took the, the, the Jews from their homeland and brought them into Babylon and kept them there for 70 years. Babylon has come to represent the evil kingdoms of the world that have set themselves up in, the, in opposition to God and, and this final kingdom that, that the beast um, holds power over all nations, all human nations, is going to fall. God is going to bring an end completely to the wicked nation that has been in opposition to God from the very ancient times. And Babylon has become the symbol here of, of the wicked kingdom. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great who made all the nations drink the wine of her passion and sexual immorality. And again, you know, this, this covers the whole gamut of sin here. We're not just talking about sexual immorality, although that's definitely part of it. Idolatry and paganism is looked at as adultery against God. This is about rejecting God. This is about turning away from Him. This is about living for self. This is about doing what I want to do. And, you know, now, now this great world leader has come that I can see. I'm going to give my allegiance to him and not to God. That's Babylon. The ancient kings of Babylon, emperors, looked at themselves as deity. that They were sons of, the, of God. If you look all through the Old Testament, um, Isaiah 14 is a classic example. O morning star, son of the dawn. That's a reference to the Babylonian prince, or, or the, the, the king of Babylon. Some say it's a reference to the devil. Well, maybe. I don't know. But it's certainly a reference to, to the princes who thought themselves sons of God. All through that, Babylon has, looked at, has been the representation of evil and rejection of God on earth. And their judgment is sure, and it's going to come. Verse 9, another, a third angel followed, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast, and its image receives a mark on his forehead, he will also drink the wine of God's wrath, poured out in full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night. These worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. Now, I'll just say this. If you're a Christian believer who's afraid of dying a martyr's death, then you should be more afraid of, of what's going to happen to those who persecute 
us. If, if you become a persecutor, your fate is a lot worse, going to be a lot worse than those who are persecuted. If you count yourselves with, with, with the culture that, that rejects God and, and rejects the truth of God and, and turns your heart towards God, I mean, turn your heart away from God and towards the gods of this earth, then, then you're going to be um, accounted for this terrible judgment that's going to fall on the world. But if you stand firm for the truth of Jesus Christ and you hold on to the gospel, and, and, and no matter what happens, you, you refuse to renounce it, and you hold on to Jesus Christ, just like the, the, the saints of the New Testament did when the church first formed, if we hold on in faith, then even though our body may be destroyed, God will redeem us and bring us into His glorious kingdom. When Jesus was on earth, He said, Don't fear those who can destroy the body. Fear the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. And I can tell you that... Um, if it weren't for Jesus, we wouldn't know what hell is. The Old Testament talks a lot about God's wrath and judgment. But Jesus is the one that warned us about hell. The place of eternal separation from God. Where people are tormented day and night because of their rejection of God. And you ask, how can a loving God send people there? It's not God sending people there. It's us sending ourselves there because of our rejection of God. We ask for this eternal separation by the way that we live. We ask for this separation because we, we reject God and we reject His Spirit. We don't listen to His voice. We don't listen to His Word. And God is a perfect gentleman. That place is reserved for the devil and his angels, not for us, the Bible tells us. Later on in Revelation says that, that the pla that place of judgment is reserved for the devil and his angels who rejected God long ago. It's not supposed to be for us. But those who choose to reject God, the, the, those who bow to the culture, the, the, those who um, bow to um, the persecutors, the, those who turn away from God and, and, and renounce His name, their fate's going to be a whole lot worse. A whole lot worse than those who hold on to the name of Jesus Christ. This is what Peter and the apostles knew when they were standing for the truth of Christ. And one of the reasons I believe firmly in the Gospel, and I believe firmly in His Word, is that these men, in spite of of what was being hurled at them held on to the truth of God. And I believe that they have their reward in heaven now. I think the most important part of this chapter is right here in verse 12. And it says this, Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in, Christ, in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven say, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, 
that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds do follow them. I believe firmly, and I, I said this last week, and it, it's you know this, a similar thing is said in chapter 13. This is a call for endurance. This is a call for endurance for the current generation. Prophecy is not just about predicting what's going to happen in the future. Prophecy was always to warn the current generation to remain faithful to God in spite of the suffering that, that they may go through. In John's day, it was the Roman Empire. He was exiled for, for preaching the gospel. And the book of Revelation, remember at the very beginning, he's on the island of Patmos because of his proclamation of the gospel. He, he's been exiled from society, pushed out, tossed away. And, he, and here he is in the midst of his suffering, receiving the vision from God and, and, and writing to encourage the churches. John is saying, I'm, I can't be with you physically, churches, but I'm sending you this letter, this vision that I got from God. I'm writing this letter, sending it out to you to encourage you in your persecution. He tells, he, he tells the church at, at Pergamum, for example, is one of the seven churches. He tells them, you're about to face uh, ten periods of persecution coming up, ten days of persecution. Hold on in faith to God, and you'll receive the crown of life. Over and over again, Prophecy is about a call to the current, whatever current generation is, to endure in faith in Christ and hold on to Him or, and hold on to, to God. And Revelation is, is a call to us today. We're, we're still the church of Jesus Christ. You know, the, the Spirit dwells within each one of us because we're believers. God is speaking, the Holy Spirit is speaking through these scriptures. Hold on to Christ in faith. Remain faithful to Him. Don't defile yourself with the things of the world. Now that doesn't mean that, that we separate ourselves from the culture. That's not what I'm saying. Because um, we have a culture to win with the message of the gospel. The angel that comes, you know, per, you know, pronouncing the gospel here at the end, again, our job is to continue to pronounce the gospel. And, and, and we're to love people that are outside the faith in Christ. But we are not to participate in the things that they're doing. We have to separate ourselves out. We have to dedicate ourselves to God. We have to agree in our hearts to put away sin and turn towards Him. And, 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 and endure for the truth even, in, even, even when there's opposition ahead of us. Can we hold on to Christ and not cave is the question I think that Revelation offers us. Because we know <clears throat> from Christ's own promises here what the end of that story is. That those who hold on to Him, to, to the Lamb of God, and hold on to Jesus Christ in faith, repenting of their sins and staying away from the evils of this world and dedicating in, in, to ourselves to Christ and remaining loyal, loyal to Christ, those who do that are on the winning team. Because in the end, the Lamb is going to come and sweep the evil away and sweep us away into His kingdom. That's what happens here in the rest of, of, of the end of, the, of uh, chapter 14, the harvest of the earth. 
The Son of Man, in verse 14, who comes down on the cloud, that's Jesus. And He has the sickle, and the angel announces from the temple, which means God is announcing this to, to Jesus, the Son of Man. Put in your sickle and reap from the earth. That means that, that, that's our divine rescue right there. We're talking, we, we talked about the rapture. At the end, we're going to be harvested from the earth when, when Christ comes. When He comes in His glory, that's when the great harvest of, of the souls begins. Those who will go to their reward in God's kingdom. Then another angel comes, it says, from the altar of God. And, and the angel who had the fire at the beginning... Remember, there was an angel with a golden censer at the beginning of Revelation who had um, fire in, in a censer where, where smoke comes out, incense, and that was the prayers of the martyred saints. And that angel cast that fire down onto the earth as part of the judgment. That same angel who was there at the altar in charge of that fire comes out and says, okay, put in your sickle and, and reap the grape harvest Tread it out in the wine press. It's the people of the earth who turned away and rejected God in the wine press of God's wrath. And their blood is pouring out of that wine press. We put up with a little bit of suffering, we, we, we put up with, with, with the threats of violence. We may even lose our lives as, as martyrs for Christ. I hope that never happens. I hope that, that all, all these things hold off. But I'm not going to be um, so arrogant and presumptuous to say that, that we're going to escape persecution. Because I, I know that right now there, there are prisoners in China who are proclaiming Jesus Christ. It's subversive to the state and they're in prison. Or they're in underground house churches hiding away from the government in order to, in order to worship Christ. It wasn't, that very long, it wasn't very long ago that this group called ISIS was out there. And they, they, they were murdering Christians out there in the Middle East. I pray that never happens here in, in, in our country. I pray that never happens in the United States. We're still a country that, that believes in freedom and freedom of conscience and freedom of religion. But we, we, we've got to be able to, we've got to take that opportunity and stand for it. We, we have to fight for it. And I mean, fight with words, not, not with weapons. <laughs> fight with, 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 for the truth of the gospel. Contend for the truth of the gospel. Offer that truth and love, Jesus says, to a lost and dying world. Continue to stand for Jesus Christ in the midst of that opposition that comes. And if we endure all the way to the end, we will walk with the Lamb into glory. And my question to you this morning, can you hold on to Christ? Can you hold on? Can you endure in faith in Christ? Can you hold on and not buckle? And if so, have you told about your faith in Christ to other people? Have you told them about what He's done in your life? 
Religion is not just one aspect of our lives, folks. In fact, I, I shun the idea of religion to, to a certain degree. We're not just a religion. We're, we're, we're a lifestyle. We're a faith. We walk in the light of, of, of God and His Son, Jesus Christ. We live in that light. And it affects every aspect of our lives. Yes, we gather in a church for worship. But we also live it. <laughs> We're called to live it. Can you endure? Will you endure for Jesus Christ until the very end? Let's stand.